Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Herb, Tax Girl. I'm a tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers and tax practitioners like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. In March of 2020, Congress introduced a new tax credit, the Employee Retention Credit, or ERC, as part of the CARES Act. The ERC was in direct response to the pandemic and was designed to help keep businesses keep employees on their payroll. The ERC, a refundable tax credit, got off to a rocky start and was quickly overshadowed by its pandemic cousin, the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. Nearly a year and a half later, the IRS is still issuing guidance on the program, even as Congress is considering phasing it out. To help us sort this all out, I've invited Dan Choden to the program. Dan is a tax partner at Trout CPA, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He has spent the past two years leading COVID relief efforts for clients, including grant programs, the Paycheck Protection Program, and tax credit relief. Dan, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So ERC, it's all the rage right now. People want to talk about it now. But a year and a half ago, they didn't when it was first introduced. And I think that was largely, as I mentioned, because PPP was all folks wanted to talk about. But ERC actually was really beneficial for business owners. So can you walk us through what ERC is and how it can benefit business owners? Absolutely. So this is a tax credit, which turns people off immediately. Right. Until I subscribe to them, hey, this, this is a tax credit, but you don't just need to have tax. It's really cash refund. It's a refundable tax credit. Not quite as quick and easy as PPP, but this is relief money, just the same. And you're absolutely right. It was overshadowed by PPP. I wish we could just call it PPP round three to get some better press out of it. Mm-hmm and get some more attention on the program because as much as it does feel like I'm spending a lot of time on it and it is perhaps all the rage in in certain communities from a broader standpoint, I've also been hearing and seeing a lot that this is a very underutilized program as well. Many business owners still have not seen it, have not looked at it, or or maybe just have not looked at it hard enough. And after the last couple of years here, professionals as well have been overwhelmed by all the changes. And this is just one piece of many. So it's easy to not be as focused on it. So it's it's something that certainly should get a little bit more attention. And if only we could call it round three of PPP, because in some cases, it's as much or even more money than businesses had seen with those earlier relief programs. Right. And you alluded in the beginning, you you mentioned, you know, it's a tax credit. I think that's actually the biggest problem with it is the name, because I think when you say tax credit, people immediately have this visceral response, whereas PPP was just touted as free money. But ERC implies that, you know, the tax credit piece implies that you have to do something to get it. And you do, but you also had to do it with PPP. So I just think that the name just feels so sterile and tax focused as opposed to this Paycheck Protection Program, which just sounded so much more fun, right? Absolutely. Money hit bank accounts very quickly, where this program really didn't come to the broader audience until after the fact. In December, the Appropriations Act retroactively changed the landscape and said, hey, it's not an either or. Uh, right. You could only take PPP or ERC, and now you can have both. 
you can you can look at them together. So everybody was going back, claiming this money, and it, and it just takes time because the IRS is so backed up. All these old refund claims are taking a very long time to process. We don't really know the scope of how long some of these are taking to process in, in, in retrospect. So it's just not as, it's not the headlines. It's not what everybody is seeing and talking about with PPP, but remarkably enough, actually easier to file for. We don't have to have all the support that's given to a bank that's kicking it back and asking for more documentation. The actual filing of it is rather simple. It's only a few lines on a payroll tax form, but because it's a tax credit, just like you said, everyone gets in their mind, oh, this is this is much more complicated. To a degree it is, even though it's not a bunch of documentation to submit. We don't have to go out and, and, and figure out all of these utility bills, non-payroll costs, and these other pieces for ERC. It's much simpler to claim, even though, wow, it can get complicated in a hurry. Sure, <laughs> it's tax. <laughs> Yeah. So who's eligible? Yes. Yeah, so big key eligibility for 2020 and for 2021 has been businesses that saw a shutdown or at least a partial shutdown of their business and other limitations to how they can operate. Now that the second main qualification was a drop in revenue or receipts, they call it in the law. And that was a 50% drop in 2020, but now is only a 20% here in 2021, which was a lot harder to, to obtain last year, of course, but now 20% could just be a normal fluctuations of a business, uh, mm-hmm. especially depending on the type. You're heavily job-based. You know, construction contractors really come to mind as maybe having what I call lumpy revenue and may just be having a, a normal year overall, but just the timing of those jobs could create employee retention credit where you might not otherwise expect a business that might otherwise seem to be thriving can can have qualification you wouldn't otherwise expect. But the obvious ones have to be those that were shut down, those that in the second quarter of 2020 were closed, or at least could only operate in very limited fashion, perhaps had to be remote, couldn't do their physical operations. Those businesses are the obvious ones, the ones that are going to see those big drops in revenue because their doors were shut. Mm-hmm. Or they can qualify just by the nature of their doors being shut alone, whether or not they saw that 50% drop. So those are the big qualifiers. And the third one that I have to mention is just for the third and fourth quarter of 2021. And that's the recovery startup business rule, which is very interesting because the retention credit is, is mainly focused on you were harmed by COVID. We're going to come home. Mm-hmm. But the recovery startup business rules are just a pure incentive from the government to businesses that are starting out. Say, hey, if you start a new business and you're small, we will fund you for the third and fourth quarter up to $100,000 is the wow. cap of that program. So it's a, a confusing because it's baked into this relief program when really we could be giving that money from the government straight to a business that was completely unaffected by COVID. You just qualify as a recovery startup business based on the nature of being a startup business after February 15th of 2020. You started up a business during the pandemic or shortly thereafter here in 2021. You deserve some help. And in terms of help, the dollars, as you mentioned earlier, can be pretty big and is refundable. So how does the money piece work? Oh, the money piece is the whole reason why we're doing it, of course. They, sure. <laughs> they can be pretty tremendous. This morning, I just looked at and reviewed four of these. There was a, two salons. There was a limited service restaurant I took a look at already. 
uh, one more, oh, a retail shop was what, and, and the, the funds for those were just shy of $200,000 that are going to come back for all of these fairly small businesses, really. Right, right. But if you compare those to their loans that they got for PPP, it was nearly the same dollars. Pretty, pretty tremendous. Now that's just for 2020. That money, unfortunately, isn't, isn't coming fast. I think I mentioned earlier, the IRS had not been processing these amended refund claims timely. So going back and finding these credits for clients in 2020 has been a process of its own. But then once it's filed, we've been waiting. We've, we've been filing these since the beginning of the year when the law changed and have only seen a couple of these refunds actually come through. Most of them seem to be held up and log jam in the IRS trying to figure this process out. And, and we haven't really gotten a good answer on whether that's going to get any better or if it's just going to be stretched on from this point. So the timing of the funding is is concerning when we're filing them going backwards. But thankfully, there, there are some businesses that know they're qualified in a quarter and can work with their payroll company to claim those benefits on their current payroll tax returns electronically filed. And those refunds have been coming back around 30 days after the fact. So a first or second quarter refund might be uh, received by the end of April or the end of July of this year. We've seen some of those as well. So let's talk timing for a second. So you're talking about clients that you're helping out now. What if people are listening and this is the first they've heard about it, or maybe it's not the first time they've heard about it, but it's the first time they've given it serious consideration. Are there any restrictions on retroactive filing? Like, how does that work? Like, if I'm listening now and I'm like, gosh, like, I totally had a a shutdown second quarter of 2020. Is it too late for folks to follow up and get those funds? Not at all. This is going to be, for accountants, kind of the great treasure hunt of COVID relief for years to come. And for business owners, again, don't lose heart. You can still go back and claim these refunds. The statute of limitation for ERC claims on these payroll tax forms is up to three years after the original filing was due. So we got plenty of time, if you're listening to this now, to go back and consider it. Uh, The qualifications, in some cases, are as straightforward as a shutdown in the second quarter, like you said. But I would encourage everybody to look at this and then look twice and look a third time and then talk to an expert and look at it again, because not all qualification is as easy as I was shut down or I had a receipt drop. We've seen all kinds of unique scenarios with partial suspensions and multiple businesses being grouped together and how they affect each other. So not only do we have more time to consider this, but really more time to reconsider this. Don't write it off just at your first pass. This is a lot of money and worth exhausting every option to be able to claim it. And so we've talked a little bit about claiming it and who might be eligible. How does the actual process work? So it is a payroll tax credit. So how does that work like mechanically? The mechanics are a little funky on the payroll tax return, but it, at the end of the day, it's it's really just semantics. The credit at first will reduce your FICA tax, your Medicare and Social Security tax. And then that changed here for the second half of 2021, statutorily. And then whatever is left is refunded. But at the end of the day, if you're claiming $100,000 VRC, you might have to put it on a couple of different lines semantically of the 941 just to present it to the IRS a certain way. But at the bottom of the form, it's, it's still going to say $100,000 cash refund. That's the, the real bottom line of it. So 
again, that can be claimed on your original filing if you know for the current quarter that you qualify. But for the most part, we're looking back at 2020 because these rules change retroactively and we're claiming these after the fact. So we're looking at amended 941s, those quarterly payroll tax returns uh, to be able to claim these benefits. Uh, I should mention that is one other option as far as the current benefits uh, working with payroll companies that, that you may be processing with, and that's reducing your payroll tax deposits as you go. So that $100,000 of credit you may be due for a quarter can come to you a little bit faster if you stop making your federal tax deposits and your federal holding deposits during that quarter. And then any balance of that would be refunded at end with that 941 being processed. So that's something that's out there. I've really shied away from it mm-hmm. because it can be a little bit tricky. You, you got to make sure you know that you qualify and you also don't want to over credit yourself because the interplay of this program can be very important. If we've used all of our wages for the employee retention credit, well, then we're going to be in trouble when we turn around and look towards PPP forgiveness. We need to have wages to be able to cover that forgiveness process and not pay that loan back. So we have to be a little bit careful. So I've been cautious about the advanced claims with clients, unless the funds and the cash need is, is very severe and, and we want to do that extra work to get ahead of it. If it's not so severe, then we can be uh, able to afford to wait in some cases. Right. And I think with the IRS taking so long to process these forms, if you had made a mistake on the payroll side, you're not going to know about it <laughs> for a little bit. And potentially there is going to be consequence. So it makes a lot of sense, I would think, to hold on to the amendeds and, and take it as a credit rather than reducing deposits as you go. Sure. There's a, there's certainly a lot of reasons for it. And I'm, at the end of the day, a paranoid accountant more than anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always going to want to be extra cautious, dotting I's and crossing T's. But I understand. And we've seen them. There's those situations where this relief money needs to be immediate relief money. And we're going to fly a little more by the seat of our pants to get this this cash uh, in the hands of clients sooner. At this stage, because so much of it is retroactive, that's that's been there a lot less. The businesses that are really hurting also got PPP and PPP round two. So there wasn't quite the cash crunch need that you might have seen if this was the only program. So that's that's helped. It's taken a lot of pressure off that we haven't had to do nearly as many in advance to be rushing and pushing the program as we otherwise would have in the absence of PPP. Right. And unlike PPP, there are no restrictions on size, right? For ERC, a business? There is news stories about ERC. It might be from the negative spin because there's very large corporations with many employees that have been able to claim this credit as well. There are limits on how the credit can be claimed depending on your size, but those large Fortune 500 companies that may have sent people home and kept paying them to retain them. That's really what this program was designed for initially, be mm-hmm. able to incentivize paying people not to work, a sort of stopgap unemployment replacement program. And it's really morphed into something else as it's been expanded retroactively. But that's absolutely the case. You can get this credit on wages paid for employees who are not working at any size. You can get it on all wages paid only under thresholds of 100 employees in 2020 and 500 full-time employees, I should say, 
here in 2021. So that's their threshold here of a small business that you're going to get it regardless of whether or not this person's providing services or if they're just sitting at home and we're paying them as a sort of unemployment replacement. So that that was really more of a practice for large, very large employers, not so much for our middle market and small business. Since we've established in terms of the size of the business, there's no real restriction other than, again, the calculations piece. Are there any businesses or business owners or scenarios? I know we've talked a little bit about the fact that there are some very quirky provisions and the rules and they do keep changing. But is there any particular scenario or any kind of business that stands out for you who absolutely would not qualify? That's a good one. It's 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 hard to say that across the board just because the receipts drop can qualify just about anyone for all kinds of reasons that aren't COVID related. And that's worth repeating. This is a COVID relief program, just like the PPP was, mm-hmm. but very unlike the PPP, yeah, on, on that program, you have to certify that you have a need. Here on the ERC, there, there had, can be no connection to COVID whatsoever, no need or shutdown or anything. You just have to have a receipts drop. It doesn't have to be a receipts drop that's COVID related. So again, a construction contractor that's business could be swinging substantially just by the nature of what they're doing can qualify. And, and that may seem odd, but it's still a qualification. A business that's just naturally contracting, maybe they've just downsized strategically to be able to, to, to optimize their business or or perhaps they've sold off a division in a prior year, but because of the timing of that, their 2019 revenue looks much higher than their 2020 and 2021 revenue. Just those natural fluctuations that may occur for any number of non-COVID reasons just opens it up. It, it really means that there isn't any business that wouldn't qualify uh, under those cases. Now, there's certainly certainly businesses on the other side that all of them should qualify, right? Think about your restaurants, your retailers, those that were shut down and hit the hardest, but very hard to exclude anybody from this program. And if you qualify for some quarters based on this, could you be excluded from others or is it an all or nothing or how does that work? Very good question. It's a bit more limited credit in 2020 for sure, because it is capped. I don't know that I mentioned that it's capped at 50% of the wages paid to your employees up to $10,000 per employee, and that's for the whole year. But that is much larger here in 2021. Instead of a per year cap, it becomes a per quarter cap, and the credit percentage is increased all the way up to 70% per quarter on $10,000 of wages per employee. So it's it's tremendous. It's, it could be $5,000 cash in your pocket per employee in 2020. And it could be $28,000 per employee year in 2021 as the max. The program was was greatly expanded just based on the rules changes from year to year. But to your other point of your question there, how does eligibility affect from one quarter to another? Boy, it's it's complicated. And they made it as fun as they could by changing <laughs> the rules between the years once again. But uh, what I, the way I describe it to clients is that it's a two-for-one deal, basically. If you have a drop, you're going to get at least two quarters for the price of one quarter of drop, two for one deal. The rules are a little more complicated than that. You know, you have to have a, a 50% drop and then it continues until you reach 80% of the prior year. And everybody's eyes glaze over and they have no idea what I'm talking about before long. But the key really is it's, it's a two for one deal. If you have a drop, 
then you're going to continue to qualify at least for two quarters. And that's going to cover you in most cases in 2020. And, and the same is true, even though the rules changed in 2021 to be a, a look back provision instead of a continuation provision. And it's kind of just semantics at the end of the day, but the drop is two for one. If you claim it in one quarter, it's not going to prohibit you from claiming it in any other quarter. You can have multiple drops. You could have quarters that are affected by a shutdown and then later affected by a drop in the later quarter. So eligibility can come and go in these situations. In some states, we've seen multiple shutdowns. So they may have had a drop at one point, a drop later, or they may just qualify based on having three separate shutdowns. I saw that again for a salon that I was looking at here that was was shut down three times in 2020 in California. And that's maybe a good example. If if they hadn't had a 50% drop, so they only qualify in the shutdown periods, those are unique ones. You only then get the credit for the periods of time that you were subject to those shutdowns or partial suspensions. So once we dig into the weeds and some of those situations, it can get pretty nuanced, but it's something that is really going to help looking at both years, looking at all quarters and not just thinking, hey, I qualify for this once or or I only was shut down for a short period of time. It's something that's going to have to be fully analyzed and probably is just going to continue to be now for years to come. Again, accountants will be looking at this as, as kind of a little treasure hunt to help their clients, help find new clients, more money going forward. Right. So it's based on the actual payroll taxes that you paid in. So that's going to mean W-2 employees and it's going to mean the 941s that you mentioned. So that's where you actually claim the credit. Is there any relief for folks who are not paid on a W-2? This credit is essentially going to be only based on W-2 wages, Medicare wages. So there are unique cases of certain employees that aren't subject to FICA taxes for various reasons. So they aren't going to be able to qualify there, as well as some related party wages that get thrown out. So the basis has to be wages there. So if, if you have a, a bunch of contractors, sorry, this is a payroll-based relief program. You gotta have payroll to be able to qualify, unfortunately. And that's exactly the reason I asked that is because that is a question that I've been asked over and over about folks who are independent contractors. And I know that that's not the rule because it's a payroll tax, but it is something that's come up a bit. And it's interesting to me because one of the things that Tony Nitty and I talked about way back when we were talking about PPP is that he felt like, and a lot of practitioners have said similar things, that this exercise of being forced to look at your finances and your payroll and the way that you compensate people for purposes of PPP has caused a lot of businesses, especially smaller businesses, to maybe rethink the way that they pay their employees. Do you think there's going to be anything similar? And and I asked that question with, and I'll go ahead and make the caveat for everyone who's furiously typing emails to me as they're listening. I am not suggesting that you can change the way that you pay your employees as a choice. I understand that there are criteria between 1099s and W-2s. So I'm not suggesting that it's flipping a switch. I'm more talking about like restructuring. Like this was something people started thinking about a lot with respect to, for example, S-corporations. How valuable are they? Was it worth it when you started looking at the PPP calculations to have paid yourself a lower salary? 
Are you seeing the same kinds of discussions with respect to ERC, or is it just something that it's more kind of a thing that's kind of been tossed to the side? Yeah, it's, it's certainly an incentive that's employee focused. And that was true, certainly true of both programs. And I'm sure if Congress comes back and turns on the spigot, either of these programs or some future iteration for another reason, it, it may be similar. So you know, there's certainly benefits, like you said, that there's, there's reasons and classifications that might be made and arguments to be made there. But we know what, what Congress is trying to do here. They're, they're trying to incentivize us to maintain employees and to grow our employees. Um, but that's not to say there weren't, there wasn't relief elsewhere. It just wasn't felt necessarily at business level. Those vendors or contractors then could go out and get their own PPP loans if they're a contractor, right? So there's, there, there was some relief measures all around there. But for these programs, certainly we are, we are kind of stuck looking at clean employee payroll and, and there's headaches that come with that. But I think in, in the long run, we might be able to say that this is maybe where they go come back to in the future as well. Right. And I actually think that there's an argument that this entire, I mean, <laughs> we talked about it with PPP, but I think ERC is the similar outcome is that there's going through all these exercises and looking at the books and thinking about the way that you spend money um, I think there's a lot of lessons that business owners have learned about not only the way that they compensate their employees, but the way that they keep records, how often they take a look at those records to make sure that they are still there, whether they're in order. One of the biggest complaints I heard, oh, I've heard over the year and a half from tax professionals is how much cleanup they have been forced to do just simply to do something like submit a PPP application. Obviously, ERC, as you mentioned at the start, is a little different in that you're just really focusing on payroll, but you also have to look at receipts. Are you also finding that there was a lot of cleanup that had to happen? It certainly pays off if you're a small business keeping track of your accounting. And it can easily run quarterly reports for the last three years, uh, well, two and a half years to date now. Because boy, if that's just a once a year exercise, I don't know how you can plan for for these programs, right? So it's absolutely the case in in certain small businesses that may not be as organized that we may be pushing to to get their accounting into QuickBooks or some platform, and and boy, that pays off. And it's not just here. I mean, we we run into those kind of problems as practitioners all the time. When suddenly it's an emergency, we need a loan application to come through. Where's my year-to-date financial statements? Well, well, boy, you, you got your bank statements, but we haven't done any accounting for the year. Uh, this, is, this is a night. So this is just the, the latest reason why the core of what we do is, is so important for management information, for relief money, for banking. The list could go on. Right. Nicole and I had a conversation on the podcast about the importance of bookkeeping because a lot of folks have been overlooking, I think, their bookkeeping for a really long time. They figure they'll just figure it all out at tax time every year. And, and I do think this has been kind of a reminder of the importance of not pushing it off until the last minute, because at, you actually mentioned things that I hadn't thought about, but things like emergency loans or, or when you uh, would need something in addition to all the, the uh, pandemic relief having to scramble a little bit. And when you scramble, the relief might not be as apparent or you know, I always say it's better to file it when we talk about regular returns. It's better to file it on extension. So, you know, to take your time and have it be correct, than have something flawed and quick, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, rushed, rushed work just leaves that much more room for error. Well, and I wanted to talk about, I suspect there are people who have been listening who were hoping for like a really quick formula and a really quick answer to how to make this happen. And one of the things I noticed when I went to the IRS website earlier this week is that despite the fact that we're a year and a half along, IRS hasn't updated the FAQs since the first round of ERC. What they've done is they've just put up those notices. I know those notices have been really difficult to get through for some practitioners. How do you keep it straight? And do you have any guidance for tax pros out there who are trying to sort out where they should be at this point with respect to figuring out applications, qualification, that kind of thing? Because I do think that one of the Originally, when it was introduced, the ERC, although it was restrictive because there were the the rules where you couldn't combine it with PPP, it was at least somewhat straightforward, but then it changed and then it changed again mm-hmm. and quite possibly maybe uh, ending early as well, which we might talk about in a second. But what kind of information or advice would you give folks who were trying to sort it out? Because again, if you go to the IRS website right now to the FAQ page, you see the FAQs early 2020. And then it says, by the way, if you're looking at it for this time period, go to this notice. If you're looking at it for this time period, go to this notice. Like, how do you keep it all straight? Oh, boy. Well, about the only way that I've kept it at least as straight as I can manage is it's become about the only thing I'm doing in life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it is is challenging. It is tough. And I'd say to any groups or, or practitioners that are looking at this, make a champion within your office or within your group to spend the time to, to set up the process or, or at least just to at first evaluate and to understand, hey, is this something that we realistically want to dip our toe in or can we just make a strategic decision to say our plate is full, we need to partner with others to be able to get this done. And there's there's, there's no shame in We can't sure. be expected to do everything. We have had a lot asked of us in these last few years. And so I think there's there's absolutely room for that, but it, it's going to take somebody that's going to be a champion, somebody that's going to be responsible to, to guide it forward because we can't expect every every accountant, every CPA to be able to know all these rules. There is just too much. Those notices are too deep and I've spent too much time in it and, and it still feels like there's nuances that keep getting teased out <laughs> every other week here. So it's it's really amazing to step back and, and see how much there is to absorb. So, so as practitioners, I think I think we need to, to either really focus in and make a concentrated effort on it, or admit when it's time to to be able to outsource and get our clients the service and get our clients this credit without necessarily burying ourselves in something we else we can't take on. I think that's such great advice. I have often said that if someone tells you they know everything there is to know about tax, that they're not telling you the truth. Because it's impossible. I mean, you can have the smartest and, you know, I've been really lucky to have surrounded myself with a lot of really smart people. I've interviewed a lot like yourself on the program. Um, I've worked with a lot of really smart people. Nobody can know everything. So I think it's really important to figure out your limitations and understand that you can't be everything to every client. And um, that's really great advice about partnering with other people. Because one of the things I'm finding is that there really are Folks are developing these these odd little niches, right? <laughs> that they ne- didn't even know about a couple of years ago. There are people 
who know seemingly everything there is to know about PPP for S corporations, right? And then there are folks who know uh, they they really niche themselves into pandemic relief for restaurants. It's really interesting to see how a lot of it, I think, is client based driven. You know, who are you serving generally? But it really is interesting to see how people have developed these really um, intense knowledge bases based on what's happened over the year and a half, or last year and a half. How did you actually migrate towards doing a lot of pandemic relief? Is it because you represent a lot of small businesses or, or how did that evolve? Because not everyone who works with clients, either, you know, as a CPA or, or an EA or a tax attorney, not everyone developed this kind of expertise, these programs. So how did it kind of happen for you? I was in a great position as a uh, younger member of our partner group here, not have quite the same years and years of built up workload necessarily. Right. So when things really went went downhill and we were working remotely for the first time last year, I, I got thrown into PPP and learning that inside out and really stepped forward to lead that team just because I, I realized I needed to know this inside out for my own clients that mm-hmm. I, I wanted to. And then that just kept evolving and growing and learning. I tried to not get into ERC. I tried to <laughs> tap someone else for this when the time came, but very quickly the realization was you can't just know ERC. To do ERC right, you need to know PPP inside and out as well. And that's a complex program in and of itself. And because the two are so interplayed and joined at the hip, I kind of got stuck with it. <laughs> it's been tremendous to be able to work work with and, and help so many people out with it. But those that got pulled into the PPP relief, it was just a natural a natural shift there because you can't just do one in a vacuum. Uh, you try to calculate ERC on its own, we're going to be missing an awful lot because we can't spend those same dollars for both programs. Or, hey, we can do special things with costs that apply for PPP, but that don't apply for ERC, and we want to maximize those costs. And I could talk all day about all the back and forth and fun stuff we've done to be able to jump through hoops on the interplay process. But that's really how I, how I got pulled into it um, was just capacity. And then no one else was, was stepping forward. And I was a PPP guy. So I'm, I'm going to be the ERC guy. <laughs> right. So you were it. When we were talking earlier, you were mentioning, I think you said it would be a treasure hunt uh, for accountants for years to come because of the nature of being able to go back retroactively. There's been a little bit of chatter about Congress um, maybe ending this before its time or not extending it. Do you have any thoughts on whether you think it will end more quickly or if it will be extended? Or do you think all of that's sort of up in the air? It's definitely up in the air. If I had to go one way or the other, it looks like we're going to lose the fourth quarter. The Senate passed the infrastructure bill here, and that's going to be moving on that that'll probably sit in limbo for a while as the house wants the infrastructure bill and the larger spending package from biden to go to go through kind of on a track together so we might be looking at being into the fourth quarter of this year before the fourth quarter goes away and that's what's tucked into the infrastructure bill in case anyone wasn't aware uh, there's a proposed law proposed portion of the law this infrastructure bill that would end the ERC early at the end of, of September instead of going all the way to the end of the year. The only exception to that would be this startup business rule that would keep continue on for the last quarter. 
if this does become law, we could be looking at just one less quarter of relief here in 2021. I, I think that's where we're going to end up. There's a lot of, certainly been a lot of support beyond that bill. And I think everyone's kind of assuming the reconciliation bill may have a, a rocky path to get past one way or another, some arm twisting between the Democrats. They're going to get their stamp on the tax code and on broader spending legislation as well sometime before the end of the year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens, I think, in the next few weeks, even outside of the infrastructure bills and the, and the reconciliation, just seeing what happens with the COVID numbers, because I think that a lot of the incentive for taking the last quarter away was look at the jobs reports and, and things were coming back and we looked like we we're headed on a good path. If parts of the country start shutting down again, or if the pandemic adversely affects, especially some of the southern states, like where I'm from, they're they're seeing a lot of surges. They're concerned about having people go back to school. They're not sure what's staying open. If that happens, I wonder if that will change the sentiment. It's certainly a possibility. ERC is scored pretty small for the fourth quarter. It's not a huge dollar amount. That'd be an easy spigot to go turn back on for relief money. There's been chatter, too, about the sick leave, the FFCRA that took care of those that might be out with COVID or caring for those with COVID and the government reimbursing employers for their wages during that time. Another program that would be ending as scheduled and could be extended if this turns into another wave here getting worse into the fall. Right. Well, again, one of the, I guess, silver linings of, of all of this uncertainty is that it is keeping tax professionals busy. Absolutely. <laughs> More busy than we know what to do with in, in most cases, uh, at least so it feels. So exactly. We keep getting more uh, more people interested in the profession have to have to start working on that end. Oh, I hope so. We've, we've talked a little bit about that on some other episodes of the program that I, I do hope that because we've, it's been a long tax season, right? So a lot of folks have been uh, pretty down on the profession, pretty publicly, which I totally respect and get because I, I, it's, I think, well-deserved. But I hope that folks don't, especially younger folks, don't think that's the new normal. Um, and I hope that they still look at the good parts as some of the things that, you know, you raised really early on, like being able to, you know, help out a small business or, or, or say to somebody, look at the money I found. I've saved you, you know, money. You can keep your business going. I don't know that you know, we talk about those moments enough because that's really the best part of the job. Like there's something really gratifying about being able to go to somebody who wasn't sure how they were going to keep the lights on and say, by the way, here's an extra 50,000, right? Absolutely. There's been so so many cases of that over the last couple of years. And, and boy, it's not been fun. Many parts of the profession, and I'm sure we've lost plenty along the way, but those that have made it through and, and learned from it and helped clients through it, there's going to definitely be some clients for life that you, you've earned it in the last 18 months. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I think this has been really helpful for not only for business owners, but for tax practitioners who are listening. Um, if people wanted to find you and if you wanted to be found either on social media or on the web, where would you send folks? Well, you can reach out to me just looking at our website, Trout CPA. Um, all my contact information's on there if you want to get a hold of me. And I'm also on tax Twitter at Dan Choden as well. And I, I like uh, communicating out there with the rest of our profession and, and really sharing that 
relief knowledge and other tax knowledge together there. Awesome. And I'll be sure to put those links in the show notes so that people can easily find you. Thank you so much again for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Gail. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.